Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly Pokies-Burke, and this is the Career Slay Podcast. Imagine the impact we could have on society if everyone loved what they did. That's what Career Slay is all about. I'm interviewing people who love their jobs and asking them how they got there and what they've learned along the way. We're here to slay the fear in career. My next guest on Career Slay is Michelle Wong. Michelle is the CMO at Sprinkles Bakeries and Picnic Restaurants, where she leads all creative strategy and communication, product innovation, and brand partnerships. She began her career in the culinary world after graduating from Le Cordon Bleu in London. Michelle then transitioned into advertising, working on iconic brands like Philip Morris, Qantas Airlines, Butterfinger, Panda Express, and Nestle, and eventually becoming the first female managing partner and president at Daily in West Hollywood before joining Sprinkles. Michelle is a public speaker and passionate supporter of diversity and inclusion, using her leadership position to create pathways and opportunities for underrepresented professionals. This conversation with Michelle was so meaningful to me. Not only did we have so much in common, but talking to her about career development, mentorship, and being an ambitious woman of color was so refreshing. Michelle is the epitome of someone who has identified what they love to do and achieved the ultimate dream job while still showing up as her authentic self. I feel so honored to be having this conversation with her, and I hope you take away lots of learnings from it. Well, welcome to Career Slay, Michelle. I'm super excited to have you on. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you today, because just because I really enjoy talking to you in general. So now we're like recording it, which is kind of weird, but I know I think it's going to be fun. People are going <laughs> to cue in on our like our our chemistry. Yes, our twinsiness. It's, it's going to come out. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, let's start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, what you were like as a child, your your upbringing. I think uh, I was super annoying as a kid. <laughs> I was like, watch me do something. And yeah. so I, I very much was um, a little performer and I loved um, to get people's attention, but I wanted to to do something. And so um, when I look back, it's just I, I enjoyed praise. I wanted to do something and be proud of it and have other people enjoy it, too. You're, you had mentioned that your grandmother was a performer, right? Yes. She uh, was a professional actress her whole life um, and just an incredible woman. She was a great dramatic actress. She turned comedienne and was really sort of known for her her comedy chops. And so because she kind of worked in the arts and um, had a very different worldview, she really instilled in us this idea of pursuing what makes you happy. Mm-hmm. And that your passions, actually, that's the thing you should follow. And so it was really interesting not having sort of the the Asian experience of someone saying, you know, you need to be a doctor, you yeah. need to be a lawyer. It was like, I don't know, like, do you like it? Like, what do you like to do? And that was, in, looking back, it's just, it was such a gift to have that kind of freedom. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So what did you want to be when you were a child? So that's weird, right? So you have this freedom and I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> and I was really all about discovery. I think for me, at least I'd always been curious. I'd always been open to new experiences. Um, and because of that, because I wanted to try everything, I never settled into any one sort of vision for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I had a very strong creative um, part of me that I had to feed into. And so I think that's probably the the main thread and sort of the, the, the 
random journey that I've been on. Yeah. So tell us more about what did you study? So I went to UC Irvine and I studied environmental science and drama. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, environmental science doesn't sound super creative. And then you drop the drama. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously there's one that I enjoyed more than the other, but I actually had a really, um, I had a very odd college experience. I just never felt like I fit in. I didn't have that close group of friends. I wasn't going out and it was, um, it was really hard for me, actually. And mm-hmm. so it was from there that I went to culinary school because I felt like sort of that creativity was really depleted from me being in that environment. And so when I went to culinary school, I felt like that was an, the next step in sort of my my transformation and evolution. Mm-hmm. So did you envision yourself becoming a chef at some point? I um, I did. I did. I wanted to be a chef. I wanted to have my own business. I worked as a chef, a pastry chef, and it was really hard. (laughs) It was like, I, I stopped, I quit because I was like, I can't do this. Like it was so hard and physical and challenging and mentally challenging. And it taught me so many sort of life skills and lessons about um, endurance, about flexibility, about commitment, about perfection, and dealing with really different types and challenging personalities. I mean, it mm-hmm. really was a great sort of uh, breeding ground for where I was headed next into advertising. But it was it was the physical part. I was like, I need to sit down. Like. <laughs> Like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Yeah, they like wake up at like three or four in the morning, right? Yeah, it's just like it was like 14, 15 hour days. And oh it's like, gosh. okay, you're used to that. Like, actually, I don't know in any job that I've had that I haven't had to pull really long hours like that. But when you're on your feet and you're producing and, and it's really um, a, a physical role, that's I think was the, the most challenging. I'm basically, I'm a wimp. So <laughs> it's like, mm, I need to like, what can I do where I can sit every once in a while? So I think that's that's where it ended up. That's hilarious. So how did you find your way into advertising? I was really lucky. I got an internship um, in advertising at Leo Burnett, and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. I remember my the very first thing I got to do was I sat in on a brainstorm, and it was around the holidays. And it was for a brand that if only if you're as old as me, you will remember <laughs> Earthlink <laughs> as, as an internet provider. And their whole thing was like, okay, we just need some ideas for the holidays. And I just couldn't believe I was in this packed or a small room, smaller than this. And um, people were just throwing out ideas. They were getting shot down. And the whole idea was to get on the get on the board. If your mm-hmm. idea was good enough to make it onto the board, then it was just like, okay, it was you it was a little pat on the back. I was nobody. I was a kid. I didn't have any experience. And they let me play along and they let me have a voice. Mm-hmm. And I got an idea on the wall. And it just was this feeling that I was like, it was like I was addicted at that point. I was like, I want to be in these spaces where we can be collaborative and create together and allow all these voices to be heard and to feel like you accomplish something when you can get on the board. And mm-hmm. so I just from then on out, I was like, I, I need to I need to do this. 
So what did you, what was kind of your career path in advertising? Tell us a little bit more about some of the roles that you took on. So I started at the very bottom of the totem pole. <laughs> it's like, as, as, I, yeah, I don't even know. I actually, I don't even, I think it was like, I don't even think the title exists anymore. I can't remember. It was so lowly that um, <laughs> I wasn't allowed a laptop. Like people had laptops, but they said I had to earn it. What? And so I had a desktop computer oh, gotcha. and because that was how they would guarantee that I would be in the office all the time. So I would come in really early and I would stay really late because I couldn't take my work home with me. Uh-huh. I had to do it there. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got promoted into a double AE position. Like it really, it was like, I don't even know what that job was. It was just the saddest job um, to start off. And then I got a laptop. So you were doing account management. Mm -hmm. I was on the account management side. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So you stayed in advertising for quite some time. Yeah, almost 20 years. Wow. Yeah. What was it about advertising that, you know, kind of fed that creative and performative fire that you had as a child? I loved the idea of making something tangible and putting it out in the world. So when I was cooking, the best thing ever was making something and watching someone eat it and enjoy it. Like it makes me so happy. Like all the endorphins go off. And I, I love that feeling. And I think in advertising, it was a lot of the same things. It was, um, you know, what are we building to put out into the world and see how people respond? And the fact that it takes so many people, the fact that that you can try anything. I just really enjoyed that experience. So where did you go after your Chicago stint? I moved back to LA mm-hmm. and um, I worked at MNC Saatchi when they were here, here in LA. And then I moved over to Daly where I then spent um, 11 years of my career there. Wow. Most of my work actually had been in CPG. So I worked on the Nestle account and it was huge. I mean, I worked on all of our confectionery business, chocolate and sugar. I was like, every meeting we had, it was like, we have to taste all the competitive chocolate out there. And I was like, our job. I know. It's like, I'm like, this is what's so great. Like advertising, you have to become an expert in, in whatever it is you're working on. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it just so happened that I had to be an expert in chocolate and sugar. So <laughs> we just, you know, we just went with it. It was fine. So yeah, I, I did that. I, I worked on their healthcare nutrition um, business. I grew our accounts. I continued to sort of to elevate and get promoted and move up within the ranks until I sort of became part of the managing partner team that would then um, take the agency independent. Wow. Tell us more about that. That was pretty wild. My career with working with Nestle was great. I learned so much. It also helped me really understand how to run the agency because I was part of now upper management. My mentor was our um, president and CEO. And so I felt like taking on this role was absolutely terrifying, but it felt like the next step for me mm-hmm. to to uh, work with the team to run an agency on our own. What was your title? I was president of Daily. I was the first ever president that was a female, let alone um, a, a woman of color in its 50-year history. Wow, that's incredible. It was pretty amazing. How did you find mentorship in the CEO? You know, um, we just kind of got on. We were friends. And, um, you know, throughout my career, I've had a lot of 
good fortune and having great mentors. People ask me about that, like, how do you find them or what did you, what were you looking for? And I think a lot of it is chemistry. Like you have to, you mm-hmm. have to like each other. And as a mentee, you have to be able to offer something to the mentor as well. It's not just a, a take sort of relationship. Yeah. And, you know, all of my mentors were white men. Really? <laughs> And, but I think that's, it's also a reflection of what the industry looked like. Yeah. Like I, I actually was, was talking to someone recently and I was th- you know, thinking back on my career, 20 years in advertising, I had never seen an Asian person in a position of leadership right. ever in 20 years. And I've worked at huge agencies from 2000 to 20 people, different states, you know, different categories, all these things. And I'd never seen it. Yeah. And I think that a lot about mentorship is you need multiple different mentors. Like I like to have someone that does look like me so we can talk about shared experiences Mm -hmm. and sort of help to help coach each other even on sort of how to handle certain things. But having a mentor that is nothing like you is hugely beneficial because you're getting insight into a world that I never could get into. Right. And and having someone that really cared about making sure that you were successful in that world that wasn't designed for you, mm-hmm. um, those were those were huge pieces in sort of moving me along. There's something interesting there, and I think there's um, we should call out the difference between mentorship and sponsorship too, yes. right? Because it almost not only did you find people who were kind of mentoring you and guiding you, but also kind of going to bat for you behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, sponsorship can come from um, any relationship, really. I've had clients that have gone to bat for me, asking me to be at certain events and meetings that were for, again, sort of more senior executive level um, because they saw the value that I brought to the business. And uh, if it wasn't for those people raising their hand and say, no, you need to pay attention to this person. You know, my career could have taken a much slower pace or, you know, I who knows what where I would have headed, you know. So I think having that sponsorship is huge. I have always struggled with, you know, not seeing people who look like me as a woman of color, an Asian woman of color and you becoming CMO of Sprinkles. That was huge. And seeing you take on that leadership position was I don't know how to even express it as a person who aspires to something like that in the future. Tell us more about how you got that opportunity. I was, I'm really lucky. Like I got to the point in my career where I could be choiceful. And I knew that once I had left my agency, you know, I had all this freedom and I, and I had the freedom to make choices that impacted not only our business, but that I believe were impacting advertising as a whole culture, like all of those things. And, and, and all of those impacts were just sort of related around diversity, equity, inclusion. These are things that I absolutely are at my core. And, um, I knew that my next role, I had to be in a place where one, that place valued, had the same values, and two, would let me have the latitude to do that kind of work, both internally and externally. And so I actually started at Sprinkles as a consultant. I came on for a few months. And it is, it's just like those things when you meet people, right? It just things mm-hmm. just kind of click and everything kind of fit in place. And I'd always had in the back of my mind, one day, all of these things will converge. My yeah. experience in advertising and marketing, my passion and sort of um, background in, in culinary and cuisine and, and, and things like that. And when this role came about, I was like, is this 
the ultimate dream job. <laughs> is, this, is this really happening? And I think what was great was I was able to tap into all of those things. You know, I fit in with the group. You know, everyone at Sprinkles, they're all restaurant people. They're all food people. They mm-hmm. all have incredibly rich backgrounds. And while I don't have sort of at all the depth, the sort of experience that they have, my experience came at it at a different angle, but I could still meet them at the table. Like our head of culinary knows, like we can talk about those things and I'm not going to come to the table with outlandish requests and, and mm-hmm. you know, ideas that don't make sense because I understand the process. Right. Um, so it's, it was just a, it just worked out really perfectly. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do as the CMO of Sprinkles? The role just continues to expand. It's sort of your edict is to be the owner and champion of the brand. There's also the responsibility of running the business is is being part of the C-suite. And there's also the layers of innovation and technology. And as much as we focus on building the brand and all the efforts that go towards that. There's obviously still the day-to-day business and and hitting numbers and all of those things are happening at the same time. So like you, right, coming from the agency side, coming over to the brand side, I had an idea of what it might be like because mm-hmm. I knew that, you know, the the advertising and marketing piece was so small in terms of my clients overall day, mm-hmm. right? It was like a very small piece of their day. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I actually was in the job, I was like, oh my gosh, it is such a small part. There's so <laughs> many other things yeah. that we're dealing with. And I had no idea how deeply integrated I would be with all of the different functions. Like mm-hmm. everything we do, we move as one. And that's marketing, technology, supply chain, operations like yep. you know right it's yep. like you you can't make because you i realize that anything that i want to do has this domino effect right. <laughs> everyone's like michelle you just can't decide to do that because you know there's like you have to tell the bakery or we have to order this and we have to train people i'm like oh there's like it's so much more <laughs> than just this like wacky idea i have so um that was a a steep learning curve but i love it i mean it that part reminds me of my agency days mm-hmm. that part of like working with so many different um, departments and people and coming together to bring something to life. That's that's the mirror that I really enjoy. Yeah, it's that cross-functional integration yeah. where you're exactly right. Like everything is interwoven together, almost like this like matrix. And it's like you're trying to move a huge cruise ship. Yep. But like everyone is doing a different job in the ship. Yep. And so you have to coordinate it. So it's it moves pretty slowly. Yeah. As opposed to like on the marketing side, when you're just like, idea, idea, idea. Yeah, let, let's go. Yeah, um, it's it's definitely a, a shift, a mindset yeah, shift. Yeah. So tell us more about your efforts in DEI and now being in this role and how you're using your platform to help shine a light on that. It's part of everything that I think about and whether it's, you know, the partners that we bring on board, the people that we hire, the messages that we tell internally, this brand was already doing it. It runs through the pulse of the company. And that has allowed me to to move the way I want to move because there's there's never been an obstacle. You know, if we want to bring in a celebrity chef and do a special cupcake around Hispanic Heritage Month, it was just like, yeah, why didn't we do this sooner? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to do a Lunar New Year cupcake. Yes, let's make it happen. How do we make it as big as possible? And that's when, again, all those cross-functional teams, you know, I'm, I think we're all, we've all had those experiences, right? Mm-hmm. When there's like a group or a person that's just like the roadblock. Yeah. <laughs> there's always that one person that's like, no, 
And there, there really isn't that because everyone is really living and breathing the same values about creating visibility for all people. And I think And I think it's easy to do when you're talking about food. Yeah. Right. Because especially for diverse groups, food is a connection point. Mm -hmm. It's where the family gathers around the table. And no matter which culture you come from, it's a it's a common love language that we have and we share. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such a deeply rooted emotion, right? Mm -hmm. Our memories attached to food run so deep. So as a marketer, if I'm able to tap into those feelings that are associated with a flavor or a type of cuisine or um, a culture, yeah. um, the reaction that we get in the, from from guests is is profound because it's more. And I say this all the time, <laughs> but it's like it's more than a cupcake. It is. It's so much more than a cupcake. It is. It's you know. It's like you said. It's it's a love language. But when you're coming from a place of authenticity, you're coming from a place of wanting to please someone mm-hmm. with how amazing and delicious this is. It's hard to feel anything but love and appreciation for that kind of work and joy. Absolutely. All of the key moments in my life, whether I was going through something traumatic or something very joyful, I've had sprinkles cupcakes. So I had. Two hip surgeries. Both times, my friends who visited me at the hospital gave me a box of sprinkles cupcakes. When we did the gender reveal for our our daughter, our friends had bought us sprinkles cupcakes to tell us the news. And it was just like it's so wrapped up in these moments of life that bring either joy or make a sad moment even happier. It's it's more than a cupcake to your point. I love hearing those stories. That makes me so happy. I mean, it, actually, the most fun part of, of when I meet people and saying I'm the CMO of Sprinkles is I hear two things. I hear about the ATMs and how <laughs> yeah. they love the ATMs and I want more ATMs and you know what their first ATM experience was like. And it's their favorite cupcake memory, whether it's a, fl- a flavor or, you know, I had it for this occasion. I had, you know, it was it was something that I go back to. And again, we're playing with something that's so emotionally rich. Mm-hmm. And I've worked on lots of brands where you don't have that luxury. But when you can connect with something like joy and 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 celebration and memories like that's that's a privilege a real privilege yeah so back to your original statement this must be the dream job (laughs) this is the dream job (laughs) i mean it's been it's been really fun have there been any challenges in your career that you've had to overcome yeah i mean we can have a separate podcast on that (laughs) how deep do we want to go i've had a lot of challenges i think everyone does and i think all of us are striving to progress in our careers and uh i just had a really hard time being seen you know one of the first pieces of advice that i got was raise your hand the more you do the more people see you the more people are going to call on you, the more people will start thinking, if you're not there, they'll be like, where's Michelle? Why isn't Michelle on this? And I thought that was great advice. And I still think it's good advice. I think what it ended up turning into, though, is I really believed that if I outworked everyone else, Mm -hmm. that I would get ahead. Right. And at the end of the day, that was not true at all. Because there's, as we know, there's so much more that goes into getting promoted than just working hard. And so I, what I ended up getting into, and I think a lot of people early in their career experience is, 
you end up being sort of the grunt work person Mm -hmm. or you're not seen as a leader or you're Mm -hmm. not seen as someone that is capable of taking on that next step. And I think a lot of that was, you know, honestly being an Asian woman. Absolutely. I think that that was a a really hard thing to overcome. I mean, when I was in Chicago um, working at Leo Burnett, the entire, we had the entire floor, our account. And um, there was probably a handful of four or five women and that we just glommed together because we felt like it was just us. And it was a really hard thing to work through because we didn't have people to look up to that looked like us. And it was hard to see that it was even possible because I'm like, no one, my, none of my bosses look like me or you. And, and how do we find our way? And I think that was probably the, the biggest challenge that I faced because it never went away. It just was like ever present, no matter what stage of my career I was in. Yeah. I, I remember having those exact same thoughts and feelings. And it does stem a lot from kind of our Asian culture because we're taught to put our heads down, to work really hard and like working really hard is going to unlock the next thing or the promotion. But there's all of this unsaid political savviness in the Mm. background that has to happen. People have to like you. They have to notice your work. You have to be visible. Um, People have to see potential in you. And none of that is really trained or taught to you unless you find like to your point a great mentor or someone who can articulate your value behind closed doors yeah yeah i mean i i think a lot of it too is just feeling like you're fitting in and i never very early in my career maybe half of my career i never felt like i fit in Mm -hmm. and um but i could see those things right i could see the politics i could see the relationship building but i just couldn't get in. Like I wasn't welcomed into the club. Mm -hmm. And um, this is, you know, I don't know if anyone still does this anymore, but this was back when like all the guys would go golfing, (laughs) right? Every Sunday. But it was just like the creatives, the account guys, the strategists, the boss, they all went golfing. And I know they talked about work. Yeah. And things that I had would never have privy to because I wasn't part of that group. Yeah. And, you know, go out for drinks after work and, you know, they're drinking whiskey. It was just like very like classic guy stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I do anything to be in those rooms because I knew that if I could get in that space, I I could do whatever it was that was asked of me. Mm -hmm. But I never even could get the opportunity because I couldn't even make my way into the social scene. Yeah. So, you know, I had looked at taking golf lessons. I had I took a golf class. I literally took a golf class in college. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's just like, what do I have to do to get there? And it's, you know, things have changed a little bit, but it took me a long time to get to the point where I was like, I'm tired of bending myself to fit into this world that didn't want me there. Mm -hmm. It forces you to quiet who you are. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see myself really becoming you know, more successful in my career until I could be who I am. Looking back, you just think all those, all those years, like I just tried to be something else, someone Mm -hmm. else. It's, it's, it's a sad reality that I think a lot of people deal with now. What was the moment that you felt like you could show up authentically as yourself and, you know, unapologetically just be who you are? You know, I think um, it wasn't until I got to a place where I had peers that would advocate for me and we would advocate for each other. 
So looking back, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? I think I would tell 20-year-old Michelle not to be so scared. If you make a bad decision or a bad choice, like, sure, it could have a bad outcome, but it's never that bad. Like, just go for it. And I think where I've had um, the most success is when I've I've just done it and I've just jumped. And um, I think early in my career, I was really nervous to do that from the scale of like not knowing how to be myself in a room to um, the different opportunities that I decided to take. It's mm-hmm. just just be a little more fearless and, and believe in yourself more. I love that. Be fearless. Yeah. I think we all need to take yeah. those it's risks. It's a good reminder even now, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's very easy to be cautious, but sometimes you just have to go for it. Right. Love it. Why is it important to find purpose in your work? It's so important, right? Because we spend so much time at work. Um, I don't, I've never had, and this could be, constru- this could be very bad. I don't actually, this is not good advice for anybody. Don't do this. <laughs> but I don't, I don't have good work-life balance. It's never, for me, it's never been about balance. It's been about integration. Right. Partly because I've enjoyed the work that I've done. So doing work, on off time to me was never a displeasure. It just was just part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, I think that having purpose or fi- doing something that you really care about is important because it has to be worth it. Like the things that I've given up to for work, mm-hmm. um, sometimes it wasn't worth it. Yeah. And I think now when I commit to something, if I'm going to do something, I have to know that those sacrifices are going to be worth it in the end. You know, I have had a career full of canceled vacations, missing parties, not seeing family, not seeing my husband, you know, just all of the things, right? Because Mm -hmm. I had to be at a meeting, because something changed and I needed to be at the office. And I don't regret it, but I think that, there were certain times where I didn't have to, and I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now, again, with wisdom and time, I can really parse out when it's worth it to do it. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about work-life integration, because I also don't, I'm also very terrible with work-life balance. What are, what are your thoughts there? I mean, it's hard, right? Because I think we're all just built differently. I love to work. <laughs> Like, I really like it. Um, I always have. And um, so it's, it's been an easy choice for me. But what is easy for me may not be easy for the people that I love and the people around me. And so I've had to be much better about making that integration um, be less disruptive. And I think the best way that I've been able to do that is to be present in whatever it is that I'm doing. Yeah. So if I'm on holiday or if I'm at a dinner, if I'm at someone's birthday party, I'm not reading emails all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I mean, it sounds terrible to say, but it's so easy to do, right? Like people can contact you in so many different ways. And it's very easy just to like do that and you're, and you're done and you've taken care of whatever the, the situation is. But each time that chips away at whatever it is that you're trying to be present for. And so um, that's been, that's been my approach and take on integration. Yeah. I think, you know, there's this almost fallacy that like 
you have to have work-life balance in order to be happy. I think work gives us a lot of, you know, dignity and like satisfaction and fulfillment. And so like, I don't feel bad for working really, really hard, but I also want to have that fullness of my own personal life as well yeah. and and understand like, what, what am I working for? Yeah, you exactly. Know? The fullness is critical. Um, it can't go either way. As much as I work, I I can't have that be my whole life. And especially as a marketer, especially in creative, what we all bring to work are, are all those other experiences, yeah. right? So it's just like when I, when I work with people, it's just like, yeah, take the trip, travel, eat something new, do something you haven't done before. You have to nurture that side of yourself because it makes you better as an individual once you get to work. Right. Yeah. So if you had to sum up your career in three words. Oh, man. <laughs> what would that be? Um, fun. Sacrifice. Yeah. And unexpected. Love it. Tell me more. Fun. I Like I said, I've always enjoyed everything that I've done. I mean, I've like, it's amazing. I've gone, to, we've done productions and Prague and and Santiago and I've done wonderful things and you know and then you're like stuck in five hour layovers in Atlanta trying to get new, to New Jersey on my birthday <laughs> like like you have these other experiences yeah. but um, I've always enjoyed the people I work with I've always enjoyed doing the work that I was doing and I think going to your other question like making it worth it it's always been fun it's been hard but I've always enjoyed it mm-hmm. um, sacrifice I think is um, I don't think people talk about enough. I think people, it's very easy to see, not even on like Instagram, like you see on LinkedIn, it's just like, yeah. oh, these people are doing all these great things and new titles and all this stuff. But you know what I've had to give up mm-hmm. for my career, which I've wanted to do. Like I've been incredibly career minded and driven, but it comes at a cost. It's come at the cost of at certain times, my health, mm-hmm. my relationships, my family, and those are all choices that I think a lot of high-performing people have to make. Yeah. And so sacrifice is a part of it. I think the other fallacy is that you can you have this balance and you can move up and do all these things. It's like you really can't. Something's got to give at some point. Mm-hmm. And it's up to you to decide what you want to give on. And then unexpected, I never really knew where I was headed. I knew that I wanted to progress in my career. I knew I wanted to do more. I knew I wanted to stay in the creative industry. But... I never expected to go from a pastry kitchen to an ad agency to a CMO role mm-hmm. in Austin, Texas. Like never. And and I like that though. I like that I'm not sure what's around the corner because I don't know, I think it's kind of exciting. When we started the conversation, I think one of the things you said, and maybe this wasn't recorded, was that we're all still trying to figure it out. And I love how even at your place in your career, you still have that mindset. Oh, totally. I feel like every day I'm like, I don't know what we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) At some point in my day, I'm like, I have no idea. We'll figure it out. You know, and people always want to talk about like, what's next? What do you want to do? And, and I honestly, I feel the same way. I I don't know. I know what I like doing, but uh, I think it's being open to those experiences. And then again, trying to be more fearless about um, what shows up in your life. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. Like, this has been such an amazing conversation. Can we record all our conversations? Well, maybe not all our conversations. (laughs) (laughs) 
The Career Slay podcast is a co-production of Career Slay and Wild Reply, produced by Michael Burke. If you like the show, subscribe and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. New episodes drop every other Tuesday, so stay tuned for some great conversations on slaying the fear in career. Career.